The book of 1 Peter is the title of the message, and this is part three that we are getting into. And there's gonna be a whole lot more parts on this series of the Bible and uh, this series in 1 Peter. I do feel that it's important not to rush through things, but we want him to sink our teeth in to the word a little bit. Is that okay? That we're sinking in, we're going in a little bit deeper. Uh, I mean, you could rush through a book on 1 Peter pretty quickly, but I don't feel that that's what God wants us to do. And a reminder that God has said that this would be a year of growth and of blessing for us as a church, and part of the growth comes through the Word of God. So let's get straight into our Bible reading for today. We're reading 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at the first half of chapter 2 today, which is verse 1 to 12. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And Lord, let your word come alive as we read it right now. Verse 1, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse four, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. I like that. He is precious. Look at those words. He is precious. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Now here comes the lovely part, verse nine, and we know this well, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, child of God, isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? 
Do you love the richness of the Word of God? I remember years ago when my dad laid hands on me and together with Mandri and released and ordained us into ministry, he said the following, he said, John, be a Bible man. John, be a Holy Spirit man. And that has never left me. And I pray that every one of you would be Bible people. We are a spirit-filled, Bible-believing church and we must honor the Word of God. So that is the reading of our scripture for today. There are four things that I'd like to share with you. I believe that these are the four critical things that come out of the passage that we have just read. Number one, are you ready? Come on, gladiators, are you ready? Number one, crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Say that out loud with me, would you? Crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. In terms of this, understand that milk is used here in a very positive sense. We shouldn't compare this verse to Hebrews 5 and another passage in Corinthians where milk and meat are contrasted and milk is implied as the thing that is for immature believers. That's a different passage of scripture, different meaning, different context. In this context here, milk is to be the prized thing that we desire, the milk of the word, and so it's used in a positive sense. Don't let those other scriptures confuse you in terms of the meaning of this passage here. Now, look at verse two, and by the way, I ask, please keep your Bibles open throughout the time of our sharing so that you can glance down as I refer to the verses. Now, verse two says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Does anybody wanna grow this year? Here's a key for you. So the New King James Version uses the word desire. Desire the milk of the word. The NIV, the New Living Translation, and the Passion Translation use the word crave. Can I ask please say crave? crave. Say it a bit louder. Crave. Now, in terms of this, I would suggest that crave is actually the better interpretation. It is not an exaggeration. It is not an overstatement when we are being told to crave the milk of God's word. And I'll back that up. The Greek word that is used here is the Greek word called epipotheo. And this means to dote upon or intensely crave something. So when we say and crave God's word, it's not an exaggeration. Because this means, epipotheo means to dote upon, to dote upon the word to intensely crave the Word of God. And I think to myself, wow, that is sure desiring the Word in a very powerful way. Now, this verse, verse two, I'd like to read it in the passage translation. It says, in the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word, for this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for the word, for the life, sorry. And so this phrase, intensely crave, I'm challenged by that, because this talks of a really deep longing for the word of God. 
I want to ask you this to jog your memory a little bit. Can you still remember the cry of your newborn baby? Can you still remember it? Raise a hand if you can. Now, come on, there's got to be more people than that. I'm not talking young people. You don't have kids yet, so that's fine. Don't put up your hands, please. All right, how many of you can still remember that cry of your newborn baby? And especially crying for milk. Boy, oh boy. Those babies, they don't care if you've just had hot pizza delivered. They couldn't care. They will cry when they want milk, and they will make that piercing sound. It's almost like that could literally pierce the soul. And do you remember how determinedly a little baby on the mother's breast would determinedly suck and swallow? I mean, that might be a cute little baby, but boy, oh boy, it just opens its mouth and it's just looking and sucking and swallowing and it's determinedly trying to get hold of that milk. Don't mess with it, it wants milk. I remember one time coming home from an evening meeting and uh, our firstborn, Jason, he was only just uh, a couple of weeks old, maybe two months old, two weeks old. So I come home and I've just had a great time at worship practice with the youth band and so on. I walk into the house and there my wife is and she's got Jason uh, in her arm here and Jason is like, we're crying and Mandri's standing right by the half-fire on the shelf and she's cranking it up, trying to drown out the sound and I just look at her as I come in and there's tears streaming down her face and she's like, oh, this, I'm thinking like, oh boy, this is gonna be a rough night. So what I do, I take Jason in my one arm, I take Mandri in my other arm, and I just yell, woo-hoo, and I'm thinking, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, some of you know about that stuff. And I love the funny thing, there's people say, no, we'll be fine when we get kids one day. We babysat one night. You're right. You got a lot to learn. <laughs> but do you remember that cry, wanting milk? And you know what? That's how we should desire God's word, like a little infant that is craving milk. And we should not be satisfied until we get in more and more of the word of God into us. Now, why the big emphasis on craving the word? This is it. Because it makes you grow. And because it nourishes you and brings you on and on in the things of God, and it brings you on and on into maturity. Can I ask you this? Do you realize God is serious about your spiritual growth? In this year, I want to encourage you, would you be serious about your spiritual growth? Don't like, uh, you know, bob and weave and so on. No. Be serious. Let the, let the passages that we're going through in Peter speak to you. Let them change you. This series could impact your life. It could change our church. I really believe that. We need to earnestly design the word of God. God is serious about our growth and God knows that the word makes us stronger and makes us live. The Bible says in Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, mother's milk provides all the nutrients that are needed for a baby to be healthy. And likewise, the Word of God provides everything you and I need as believers. Now, verse 2 says the following. It refers to pure milk of the Word. Would you please say pure? Now, why pure? Because the Word of God is pure. 
The Word of God can be fully trusted. There are no imperfections in the Word of God. There are no flaws in the Word of God. And you will not be led astray by the Word of God. I like, some people have referred to the Word as the unadulterated Word of God. That means there's no rubbish mixed into it. It's the pure Word of God. And we need to realize that God's Word is pure. It will never lead anybody astray. And in terms of this purity, it says in Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Goes on in verse 8, and it says, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Do you see his commandments are pure? His word is pure. And so in terms of craving the pure word of God, I want to say that you might be listening to me today, and you have never actually craved the word of God. I mean, it's like an aha moment for you right now that you think you can even begin to do this. But may I spur you on in your walk with the Lord that you actually begin to crave the word of God. Come on. Say amen. amen. Let us crave the word of God. That's number one, crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Number two, live an honorable life to the Lord. Please say that with me. Live an honorable life to the Lord. May I ask you, is that a desire of your heart? It is of my heart. It says in verse one, look in your Bible. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Now these things which Peter is telling us to lay aside, they are actually violations of our responsibility to love one another. Prior to this in the previous message, we looked at how Peter was saying that we should love one another fervently with a pure heart. And now he's talking about some of these things that have to be laid aside because you have to lay aside certain things like envy and malice and greed and all sorts of things so that we can love truly and with a pure heart. So these things are actually violations of our responsibility to love and therefore it's no surprise that Peter says, put these things aside. Now, would you consider this for a moment? As I ask you this question, are there some things in your life that you need to lay aside this year? Is God maybe tapping you on the shoulder and touching deep within you and he says, listen, there's this aspect and I want you to surrender it, I want you to give it up, I want you to lay it aside. Because if God is maybe touching on something in his gentle, loving way as our heavenly father, we need to be responsible to respond to that. Hebrews 12 speaks of laying aside every weight and sin so that we can run the race with endurance that is set before us. And so we don't want things weighing us down, bogging us down. Instead, we want to run flat out for God. Does anybody agree with me that you say, yeah, I wanna run flat out for God. I don't wanna be held back, no. I wanna be free to run the, run the race for God. And so in verse one, this mentions five weights that could affect our race. And these are malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. I don't have time to get into all of them, but I'd like to just quickly touch on two of them. The first one is envy. Would you say envy? Is envy perhaps something that you need to lay aside? You say, no, John, not even an issue. But let me ask you this. Do you struggle with feelings of jealousy when a friend of yours gets something really nice, a really nice possession? 
Maybe they get the latest uh, iPhone or the latest Samsung or something like that and, and actually in your heart of hearts, you, you're not really happy for them. Would that be a yes? <laughs> I think of maybe a friend of yours gets, gets a new car and, and you think to yourself, no man, why are they getting a new car again? Every second year they're getting a new car and I can't stand this. And um, to their faces you say, awesome, I'm so happy you got this car. And privately you say to your wife, I hope the engine just wrecks. Or you say in terms of maybe, maybe you're jealous of their looks and, and you look at this person and you think to yourself, well, they've got such beautiful skin and my skin looks like a prune or something. I don't know, like, you know, how do they get skin like that? Or maybe you're a young person and you look at your friend who's got this clear skin and you've just got a break out of pimples and you say, God, please give them pimples. No, 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 don't do that. Come on, this is real. We face these things and we face envy in our hearts. And I wanna say, lay that aside. Lay that aside. It will not help your race at all. And rather, be happy for them. If they get a new cell phone, ah, celebrate it. Say, that is awesome. And make sure in your heart, you are meaning that. Celebrate it. And live your life free. You don't wanna be sitting with bitter envy in your own heart. I think of the chief priests, what did they do? They delivered Jesus up to Pilate, basically so that Jesus would face death. But what motivated that? They were jealous and envious because of the power and authority in Jesus' ministry. Let me say this, envy will cause you to do the wrong things, as it did those chief priests. Another one that we just wanna to touch on quickly is evil speaking. Would you say evil speaking? Some translations refer to this as slander. May I ask you, do you find yourself quite often speaking against other people? You would be with a friend, but you're speaking against somebody else or you're breaking them down. Or do you tell stories that harm other people's reputation? Listen to this statement, slander is like trying to make yourself look good by flinging mud at another person. It's just really not gonna accomplish anything. And if you've been struggling in the area of evil speaking, may I encourage you today, lay that aside, child of God. I wanna say that you are better than that. Love according to your new righteous nature in Jesus Christ and focus on running your own race. Don't worry so much about the other person's race, but. Run your own race with your eyes on the Lord. Now, look at verse 11 and 12. Do you still have your Bible open? Verse 11 and 12, it says, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable, that's an interesting one, among the Gentiles. Verse 12 in the Amplified Bible says this, keep your behavior excellent. And then it says this in brackets, conduct yourself honorably. Um, sorry, I just lost my place for a moment. Conduct yourself honorably with graciousness and integrity. I like that. When it's talking about living honorable lives, it says that we should conduct ourselves in that kind of an an honorable way, an excellent way, with graciousness and with integrity. Let me tell you this. We need to remind ourselves 
This world is actually not our home. We are passing through this world on the way to heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And as a result, we must not become contaminated with the sinfulness of this world. We must keep away from those evil desires because of who you are in Jesus Christ. I heard somebody say that we as believers, we are marching to the beat of a different drum. Very true. And that drum is a holy drum, and that rhythm is a holy rhythm. And so we don't take our cue from the world, but we take our cue from God and His rhythm. Can you hear the rhythm of heaven? Can you align yourself with the rhythm of heaven? And so verse 12 says, having your conduct honorable. In terms of a conduct that is honorable, it starts with the inner world. You see, if you can bring your inner world under control by the help of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, then it causes, listen to this, your outer world to become a testimony to people around about us. Some people are trying to change their behavior, but actually you have to start in your inner world with the Word and with the Spirit of God, and, and God changes your inner world, and it becomes a testimony for people around about us. I've discovered that God wants our lives to shine for Him. Can I get an amen? amen? He wants us to live honorable lives, which will be an example to other believers. And know this, that as you live an honorable life, it could even bring somebody into a relationship with Jesus, because they see that you're not a Christian that just talks and doesn't live it out, but they see that you are authentic. The world, I wanna tell you, are looking for authentic Christians. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Peter's advice in this passage to live an honorable life sounds like Jesus' advice, which comes from Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, Jesus said, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. What's that? That's living an honorable life to God. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now some people say, well it's difficult to live an honorable life because the world is so wicked. Let me read the scripture to you. Philippians 2.15 it says, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. We cannot use that as an excuse, the wickedness of the world. Let me say this. If Noah, who was the only righteous person in his generation, him and his family, could live an honorable life to God, then you can live an honorable life to God as well. Amen? You can. And what's more, Noah didn't have the day-to-day -day help of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. So, so much more can you live an honorable life before the Lord, praise God. Number three, we are being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. Please say this out loud with me. We are being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. You might say, John, why do you get us to say these things with you? Simply because it's remembered better. That's my reason. Now, verse five, I'd like to read this now from the New Living Translation. It says this. 
and you as, sorry, and you are living stones. Everybody say living stones. Now, would you turn to the person next to you and say, you are a real brick. Yes, a lekker baksteen, broer. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices. I'd like to emphasize that. Spiritual sacrifices that please God. So firstly, Peter talks about this aspect of living stones. And just to clarify that for a moment, he says that we are living stones because we have been made alive through Jesus, who is the living cornerstone, and therefore we are alive. We are spiritually alive, and God is building us into his holy habitation. And let me tell you what God is building is more indescribably awesome than the most incredible cathedral you can find on the face of the earth. This is a spiritual house, which is incredible. And I believe that we should see it as an honor that we are being built into this spiritual house. And then Peter refers to spiritual sacrifices. So I'm thinking, well, what are these spiritual sacrifices? I thought sacrifices were a thing of the, the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament priests, they would offer animal sacrifices. But now you and I, we are a priesthood of believers. We are the New Testament priests. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We offer spiritual sacrifices to God. So the sacrifices have continued, but the form of the sacrifices has changed. By the way, are you grateful that you're not one of those Old Testament priests that had to slaughter animals and burn animals on the altar? I'm actually very grateful that I'm a New Testament pastor. <laughs> I mean, imagine if, and sometimes in those celebrations, they would slaughter like 700 oxen and things like that. Priesthood in those days was a messy job. But now we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. The spiritual sacrifices that we offer include some of these things, prayer, worship, intercession, thanksgiving. Do you realize that thanksgiving is a spiritual sacrifice? The Bible says the fruit of your lips giving thanks to God. Studying of the word of God, that is a spiritual sacrifice. Walking in love when you show love, you are offering a spiritual sacrifice. And also giving of offerings, do you know that that's a spiritual sacrifice? And that's according to Philippians 4 verse 18. You can check it out yourself. Also, living out your calling. That is a massive spiritual sacrifice. When you know God has called you to the world of technology or God has called you to the world of education and you sink yourself into that, it is a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable to Him. And in fact, folks, Every part of our lives should be seen as a spiritual sacrifice to God. When you hug your son or your daughter, it's a spiritual sacrifice. When you, <clears throat> here we go, when you pay your bills on time, it is a spiritual sacrifice unto God. It actually is. I didn't get too many amens with that one. <laughs> our lives are a spiritual sacrifice. 
Romans 12 verse 1 says, present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so in terms of this whole aspect of sacrifices, I pray, may your sacrifice be a beautiful, sweet aroma to God. Do you realize that those sacrifices that the Old Testament priests would offer on the altars, when that fragrance would go up to God, it was sweet smelling in the nostrils of God. And when you offer that spiritual sacrifice of worship to God, when you are praying about something, it is a sweet smelling sacrifice to God, amen? Now, on to point number four. But just before I get there, let me just recap. Number one, crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Number two, live an honorable life to the Lord. Number three, we are being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices. And point number four, we are God's own special people. Now, as you look at that, would you just let that sink in for a little bit? That should actually cause rejoicing because this is something that we're learning in the book of 1 Peter. Now, please say that point aloud with me. Here we go. We are God's own special people. One more time. We are God's own special people. Do you believe that? Amen. Now, look at verse 9. We love this passage. We know it well. I've preached on it many times. It says, but you are a chosen generation. What a blessing to be chosen. A royal priesthood. We are royalty. We are king's kids. A holy nation. And then it says, his own special people. Say that with me. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this verse of scripture is actually talking about who we are in Christ. This is talking about our identity, our true identity. And it's so important that we understand our identity because then you will value yourself accordingly. And as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter so far, this is something that I've discovered, that there's a number of occasions where Peter is speaking into the area of identity. And when you understand your identity, it helps you to understand your purpose, and therefore, there will not be abuse in your life. But when identity and purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. And so part of living a victorious life is getting it of who I am. And when God says that I'm his own special people and I get it, it affects the way I live. It makes me see myself as valuable. The Preston translation renders verse nine as follows. It says, but you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation, set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now, listen to this, he claims you as his very own. Thank you, God, for doing that. I am your very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. The other translation says that proclaim the praises 
of uh, him who called you out of darkness. This one says that you would broadcast his glorious wonders. And I think to myself today, we are so privileged to be on live television, on live radio. We're privileged to be on different platforms that are going out there. We are literally just telling the goodness of God. We are proclaiming his praises. We are broadcasting the glories of God. Can we thank the Lord for that? Come on. We are blessed to declare his praises. Thank you, Jesus, that we can declare your praises. So it says that we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Please say the word marvelous. marvelous. Now, why is God's light marvelous? I've written here, because it is so intensely bright. It is so beautiful and it is so pure in its holiness. It's kind of like this, imagine. For years, you are stuck in a dark dungeon. And one day, you are set free from that dark dungeon on a bright sunny day at noon, and you come into this intense light. That is what it's like coming out of darkness into God's light. And it's even better than that, into the bright sunshine, because God's light is so glorious, it is so pure, and it is so holy. And we walk in that light. Now, I'm drawing to a close. There is a scripture we all know well, 2 Chronicles uh, 7, verse 14. And we know this because it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We generally hear that scripture when? We hear it when we're praying for our nation. And it's wonderful. I encourage it. It should be used for that. But notice this little phrase, called by my name. I would submit to you that that is so often overlooked, but can we emphasize this for a moment? My people who are called by my name, I am called by the name of God. You are called by the name of God, and that tells me that we are incredibly special. Come on, child of God, we're incredibly special. We are called by the name of the great I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who lives and reigns, who laughs and rules over the heavens, who rides the heavens, we are called by His name. And that talks to our value. We are so blessed. And also with that, there is no other people group on the face of the earth that have the privilege of being called by God's name. But you and I have that privilege, hallelujah. You know, oftentimes, in reality, we base our value on our achievements. We base our value on our jobs, our possessions, our education, our social status. But that's actually not the right thing. Let me tell you, your value should come from whose you are. Your value must come from who you are as a child of God. And that means that we have tremendous value because of who we belong to, not because of what we have done. And our text says the following, it says, once we were not a people, that is a lack of identity, but now we are the people of God, and that means that we have the highest and the most wonderful identity of the face of the earth. Surely we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth as the blood-washed children of God. Now you go ahead and give God a hand of praise for that. 
We are His people. We're called by His name. You are God's own special people. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please. Stand with me. We're going to pray now. By the way, have you received the word of the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. This last scripture, Exodus 19, verse 5. God says, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. (laughs) Can we just appreciate that? You will be a special treasure to me above all people. Why don't you just say to the person next to you, we are special to God. Just say that to them. We are special to God. Let's close our eyes and pray. God, you've got it all figured out. God, you're awesome. Forever we are gonna be praising and worshiping you because of all that you have done in our lives. May I invite you, if you're comfortable, just lift your hands to the Lord and, and, and just let thanksgiving come out. Just offer that sacrifice of praise right now. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you have done. Thank you that we are free, that we are redeemed. And thank you that we are called by your name. You love us so much. You love us so much. We are secure in your love today. I thank you that even right now, the perfect love of God drives out all fear. Fear be gone in this place. We as the children of God will be secure in Christ. Secure in the Father's love. And I declare over your people that as we go out into this week, that we will go as those that are victorious in Jesus Christ. Not because of our righteousness or what we've done, but because of everything that you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. Why don't you just say that? We love you, Jesus. Say, I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Would you give God a big hand of praise? Hallelujah. God bless you. You're free to go.